Okay, we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be reading from verse 23. Matthew 21, 23. So let me remind you, we are following the template from the Gospel according to Luke, which is the only one of the four Gospels that says that it's chronological order. And then we fill that in with the other Gospels. So we've, we've started at, at uh, the birth of Jesus on, on forward. In fact, we started even before the birth of Jesus. We started with the birth of John the Baptist, and we've worked our way on forward. And now we are in the Tuesday of the last week of his life, sometimes called the Passion Week. And we're reading in Matthew 21, verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, But what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men... We fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So this, is, this period from Monday through Thursday is the period in which they set aside the Passover lamb and they would examine that lamb every day to make sure that it was without spot, without blemish, that it was a perfect lamb that they were going to sacrifice for the nation of Israel. This is perfect time to be challenging Jesus to make sure that He is the right one. This you see that indeed He's the Lamb of God. The, the leaders don't realize what they're doing, but this is actually what's happening here. And so, it's, it, so what they're trying to do, though, is they are trying to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the masses. This is not a quiet coming to him and just because they really want to know where he got this authority. They're trying to discredit him because they want to turn the masses of the people against Jesus. They're highly respecting Jesus. Remember that, that just the day before they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were quoting from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 118. And, uh, um, and so in verse 23 it says, when, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. So this is the chief priests and the elders of the people. So the chief priests being the, the, uh, the Sadducees and the elders being the other ones on the Sanhedrin, which are the Pharisees, the elders of the people, came to him while he was teaching. So it was not separate. It wasn't like, well, let's wait till his teaching is over. So we No, in the middle of his teaching, this crowd of very important people come walking up to him and they challenge his authority. They are trying to discredit him in front of the masses that he's now teaching in this temple compound. And they came to him while he was teaching and said to him, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? By what authority? By what authority? And then who designated to give you that authority? By what authority and who designated to give you that authority? And that is not an invalid question. The timing may not have been very gracious, but it was a valid question because any rabbi had to have 
the authority given to them by some other rabbi. It was something that was handed down. And uh, it, it, it was, it was um, uh, something that was handed down from one rabbi to another, this sort of, sort of teaching. And you see the same sort of thing in, in Acts 22. In Acts 22, um, uh, there, there's uh, an occasion in Acts 22, verse 3, where Paul is having to give an account of the basis of his background and his authoritative background as a rabbi. And what, what, uh, what um, Paul, the apostle, says in Acts 22, he says this in verse 3. Acts 22, verse 3, he says, I am a Jew born of Tar- Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. So with that, he established his authoritative line to have been a rabbi. He said, initially, he said, I am a Jew. You say, well, why did Paul say that? Why didn't he say that he's a Christian? Because Paul never called himself a Christian. Neither did any of the apostles. They all called themselves Jews. They followed the teachings of Jesus. The word Christian was used in about 60 AD. The terminology came about, meaning it was first used in Antioch, meaning that those who followed the teachings of the apostles those followers of Jesus the Messiah. But you see here that a Jew doesn't undergo conversion to Christianity. doesn't happen. Gentiles undergo conversion to Christianity. Jews undergo what's called teshuva, return, return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The New Testament speaks that everybody, whether Jew or Gentile, everybody needs a conversion of heart. But as far as faith, Jews are returning they're told to make the teshuva return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by going through the Messiah who opens the door for them. So he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. That established that number one, he was Jewish. Number two, he was born in Tarsus, which means that he was a Roman citizen because Tarsus was granted a colony of Rome and that established his Roman citizenship. He says, but I was brought up in this city, meaning that I I was born in Tarsus, so I'm a Roman citizen, but I was brought up in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel, we read about Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin, a very respected member. When he stood up to speak in the Sanhedrin, everybody else was quiet. They really respected what he said, and they were going to try to... The, the Sanhedrin was going to try to kill two of the apostles. Gamaliel said, wait, wait a minute, don't do it. I mean, Gamaliel was highly respected. So he is like, he is like the, 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 uh, the Harvard, or should I say the rice of, of, uh, of authority. And, and, uh, and so what, what um, Paul says is, I was educated under Gamaliel. Boom. That's where he got his authority. He was educated under Gamaliel. And he was given this authority. Strictly according to the law of our fathers. Meaning that Gamaliel teaches strictly according to the law of Moses. This is what he was talking about. So you can see, so so let's go back to Matthew 21. It is on this basis they're asking, what's your authority? Now Jesus is not trying to be, be coy here. What he's trying to do is he's speaking to them exactly as rabbis speak. You meet a rabbi today, ask the rabbi a question you are liable to get another question. It is not just to, to circumvent answering the question. It is the Socratic method where you ask 
a question in order to have people figure out the answer to the question themselves. And you direct them by that question. Your question is not just open-ended. It's a question that's very directed to bring them to it. So Jesus is using their typical method of clarification here. He's answering their question by asking them another question. So they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? So that question will lead them to the answer. That question will lead them directly to the answer. What he's saying is, the authority is from God, and it was given by John the Baptist, because John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This was not said in secret. The authority was from God. The authority was granted through John the Baptist to Jesus. That's what he's saying in this question. So he asks them this question. He says, The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. Now remember, they're in kind of a fix here now. Because they're trying to win over the masses, and the masses are listening to this. And they, the last thing they want to do is get these people upset with them and get themselves killed. So, but if they say John's authority was from heaven, they're stuck. Because then he's going to say, well, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the answer to your question. You see what I mean? So they knew the answer. They knew the proper answer. And so they say, so they answered, well, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It wasn't that Jesus hadn't told them. He already made it obvious to them. It was clear to them. You see what I mean? It's the Socratic method. They knew the answer. They said, well, we don't know. But Jesus knows. They really know. They had discussed it among themselves. And Jesus knows exactly what they discussed. That this authority has come from heaven through John the Baptist. And then he goes on to talk, give three parables. He gives three parables in response to this questioning which was there to try to catch him. He gives three parables. The first one is the parable of the two sons in verse 28. Verse 28. He says, but what do you think? So again, he's asking a question. What do you think? What do you think of what I'm about to tell you? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And, the, and he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and he went. The man came to the, second, to, to, to the second and said the same thing to him. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? So Jesus is asking them a question. Again, Jesus is teaching them by asking them a question. They said, the first, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did not believe, did, did, but 
Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. So he tells this story. He says a man had two sons. He told the first one to go into the field and work. The first one said, I will not. But then later he changed his mind and he went and he did what the father asked him to do. The second son he went to and the second son said, I will, sir. I'll go and and work. But then he turns out that he doesn't go and work. So he says to them, which one did the will of the father? And they said the first son. They answered correctly. And so then he turns it around on them. He says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. What are the most loathed group of people? What, what are the people that, that, people that, that they was, was disliked the most? It was prostitutes and tax gatherers. Were, you were not even allowed to have any association with them. And Jesus says, they are the ones who were first in rebellion, but they are the ones who heard John and they came. But you didn't come and John came to you in righteousness. So again, he's bringing them back to John, the one through whom authority was granted. He brought them back to John and then he said, and you even seeing this, seeing these people coming back to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, as a result of this witness, you didn't even turn. So he turns it right back on them. Now he tells another parable. He says, listen to another parable. In verse 33, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went out on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive the produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same, same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owners of the vineyard come, what will he do? When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? So look what Jesus does. He now asks them a question. This is his typical way of teaching. He'll ask a question to bring them to the right answer. He says, so, so therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do when he comes to those vine growers? And they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. So look what happens with a story. When you take an, an occasion in a person's life, if you confront that person, and, and I do this all the time, I confront people all the time, and when you confront them immediately with something they've done wrong, all of a sudden there's this resistance. Who does he think he is? I can do what I want. There's always this sort of resistance. But what he does, though, is he translates this into a story. He tells a story about someone else. It's not about the individual. He tells a story about someone else. And in that story is the answer and and, and the dilemma and the answer to what he's confronting the person with. I'll give you another example. David was, uh, had sinned with Bathsheba. David was king. He slept with Bathsheba, which is one of his soldier's wives. His soldier was out 
fighting a war for him. And while out fighting a war, he slept with his wife. And then he can try to conceal it by getting this soldier to end up sleeping with his, with his with, with, with coming back from the army to sleep with his wife to think that the baby is the soldier's. The soldier wouldn't do it, so he has the soldier killed, and a few other people along with the soldier died. It, it, it's collateral damage, and didn't phase David a bit. So when Nathan the prophet comes, he doesn't right away say, "Hey, you sinned with Bathsheba." He tells him a story, and the story is he says there was a man, a very wealthy man, who had lots of stuff. And, a, and a, uh, a visitor came to the wealthy man's home. And um, that wealthy man, this is in Second Samuel chapter 11, it says that that wealthy man wanted to feed the visitor at his home, but didn't want to kill one of his own, own uh, sheep. And so what he did is he went to a poor man's home, and he took the one little ewe lamb that the poor man had. And this lamb was a treasure to that poor man. It used to sleep in their house. The kids played with it. And it was, we would liken it sort of like a puppy today. Well, the rich man took this one little ewe lamb from the poor man, killed it, and fed it to his guest. And David got angry. David said, that rich man, he should pay fourfold for his sin. He deserves to die, but we can't kill him in Israel, so, so uh, 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 he, he should pay fourfold for his sin. And then Nathan says, oh, that rich man, that's you. Because you slept with Bathsheba. You, and you, you see what I mean? So he caught David. David was, was, he took David out of the context. And in that, David then condemned himself. And I've done this with my own children. A situation comes up and I'll tell them a story. And they will react to this story. And then I'll say, um, does this story remind you of anything that has recently occurred in your life? And they're like, this is a trap. You trapped me. And that's precisely what it is. It is a trap. But what it does is it takes the person out of the context so that they could then see this in their own lives or else there's this immediate resistance. This is exactly what Jesus did. And they fell right into it. So he tells this story of this man who built a vineyard. Now, now think of this. This man built a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. Is it cheap to plant a vineyard? No. I mean, you, you've got to take these trees and you've got to plant them. And he dug and he, and he put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it. You go to the wine presses. I mean, there, there's all these stones and then they come and they, there's these, these things on top where people can hold on to and they're, they, they're stamping on this. And it's all these stones and then there's holes in these stones that go to a lower compartment where all of this juice goes, goes in. I mean, it's a lot of construction. He built... Uh, uh, he, he dug a wine press, he built a tower, so he put a wall, he put a tower, a guard tower. This is a huge investment. This was a developer. This wasn't like, you know, he went out in an afternoon and he built a vineyard. No, he had to hire a lot of people. This is like developing a community. It's a lot of work. This is like building a factory. This is exactly what was done. A big investment. And so he invests all this money, and investors do that today. Investors build companies. They'll come in and they'll build some company and then they rent the company out to people to do the manufacturing within that, that company. This is normal. So he hires vine growers, people who are professional vine growers, and part of the deal is you're using all the infrastructure that I've put together and what I do is I get a portion of the wine that you produce. That's just the way it is. And the people understand this is business. 
You start a company, you borrow money, you build that company, what happens? You have to give a portion of the proceeds of that to the investors. This is life. This is the way it's done. So he sends just, he's not being cruel, he's just going to collect what's his. And they, 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 they don't pay the, the slaves that he sent to get it. So he sends another group of slaves. They abuse them and he says, okay, I'll send my son. And they said, let's kill him because he's the heir, so we'll kill him and it'll all be ours. I mean, how does that make sense? People do really foolish things. You know, this can't work. And so the, the, uh, the, the, the chief priests and, the, and, and uh, um, the other Sanhedrin members, so you've got the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are all there, and those wicked guys, they deserve to be killed. And just give it to an, a, another group. And Jesus says, okay. You see that they, boom, they were trapped. And, uh, uh, and so then he goes on down, and Jesus, Jesus said, um, uh, so remember their reply in verse 41, they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. You see, that they could see that this was a wretched thing. And they called them wretches. And Jesus says in verse 42, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. Uh-oh, now they're like, hey, 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 this was entrapment. You're talking about us. Verse 46, and they sought to seize him. They feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So they wanted to kill him after this. Rather than realizing that they had testified against themselves, that they want to kill him as a result. And so Jesus takes this story and he says, you know, let me tell you something. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? This is a powerful statement. Did you never read in the Scriptures? He looks at them and He says, If you had only been reading the Scriptures, your eyes would have been open to all of this. But the way you read the Scriptures, and, and, and you will see it today in Israel. You look at Orthodox Jews and Many of them can be very sincere, but there is a strict pattern of reading. I was in Israel this summer, and I was sitting on this, on this bench when my granddaughter was playing, and, and uh, I didn't realize that the only bench in the park that was shaded was the one that I was sitting on. I happened to sit on it because it was shaded, but I, you know. And so this Orthodox Jewish man with, with the tassels and the, and, 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 uh, uh, the kippah and, and these tassels hanging from his side. He's walking back and forth in front of my bench. And, I didn't, and then finally he motions to me and he says, Oh, I said, you want to sit here? Sure. Because, you know, I didn't realize he had to ask me. Because if he had been sitting there, I'd have just sat. I said, sure, sit down. And then I realized it was the only bench that was not in the blazing hot sun. And, and uh, unlike a lot of Americans... The rest of the world doesn't like to just lay out in the sun. I mean, they, Americans lay out in the sun, go to other parts of the world, and they avoid the sun. 
and so they go to the shade. And so he's, he's sitting there, and then uh, um, and I turned to him, and I said, Hi, my name is Jim Tour. Now, if you've ever seen, uh, uh, have you ever seen the uh, um, Fiddler on the Roof, that movie Fiddler on the Roof? You, you might not remember, but uh, uh, this Gentile who was interested in Tevia's daughter, but Tevia didn't know he was interested in his daughter, but this Gentile goes to meet Tevia and he puts out his hand. And here's this Gentile and here's this Orthodox Jew, Tevia. And so this guy's got his hand extended and Tevia just with his fingers takes the man's hand and shakes it. This is exactly what happens. I put out my hand and he took his fingers and he, and he shook my hand. I thought, I've seen this before. He assumed that I'm some Gentile guy because I didn't speak Hebrew. I wasn't dressed like, a, like, like, like an Orthodox Jew or anything. And then, and then uh, we got to talking. I asked him what kind of work he does and, and we were talking for a while. And, and then I, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, he was asking what, what synagogue, I told my daughter lives here, what synagogue does she go to? Does she go to the synagogue across the street? I said, no, she goes to the one downtown by the Shuk. He says, down there? Which made no sense to him because a Jew is not supposed to, is supposed to walk only on the Sabbath day. And so you usually have a synagogue that's right by your home. And uh, so he knew already that my daughter could not be a very good Jew if she's, has, has to drive or take a bus to the synagogue where she goes to. Well, she goes to a Messianic synagogue where they believe Jesus is the Messiah. So there's not a lot of those, so she goes to where she has to go. He says, and uh, why do you let her go there? I said, well, she's 30 years old, and I don't have a lot of say over my 30-year-old daughter. She goes where she needs to go. And he nodded his head. He, he, you know, he obviously was a married man, and he had kids there. He, he, no, you just back off when ladies do it they, they, they have their own mind they go where they're going to go and so and then he says uh, uh, so we're, we're talking and I said you know I read I read the Tanakh every day now the Tanakh is the Old Testament that's the Jewish scriptures I said I read the Tanakh every day he said so do I I said I do it because I want to he says I do it because I have to so you see for him it's an obligation. For me, I do it out of love. And this is what always brings tears into the eyes of Orthodox Jews when I talk to them. Start telling them about the Scriptures, how much I love the Scriptures, and they look at this. They said, you know, and, and they've said to me, several of them have said to me, I envy what you have, because you do it just because you love it. We have to do it. We have to say this prayer, light this candle, do this, and we've got to read this much in the Mishnah and the Talmud. We never get a chance to just enjoy it like you do. I've had... Orthodox Jews tell me they've gone back to the synagogue after meeting me and they've told their synagogue, we're not reading the Mishnah or the Talmud, that's the writings of men, anymore until we've gone back and read the whole Tanakh because we were so impressed with this Messianic Jew who, who does this. And, and so then I handed him my card as I was leaving and he took my card and he looked at it. He says, all this time I was sitting next to a PhD? Oh, very interesting. And he says, I'm not sure I'm even allowed to be holding this on the Sabbath because they're not allowed to work on the Sabbath and he's holding my business card. And, and, and uh, so, for example, they can't, they can't get in an elevator and push the button. They do, do many things they're not allowed to do because it's considered work. So he's holding this card. I said, would you like me to take the card and just slip it in your shirt pocket so that you can wait till after Shabbat to, to read it? He says, I'll work it out. <laughs> but... 
but you see that they read the scriptures, but how much is, are they really saying, Lord, show me, teach me? He says, did you never read in the scriptures? And then he quotes from Psalm 118, which is the Messianic Psalm, the one that the crowds had been saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's also this written, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing the fruit of it. And so what he's speaking about, he's speaking about the tribulation generation of Israel that's going to turn to him. If you think that this is the church nation that's going to get it, it says in Romans 9 and 10, the church is not a nation. In in fact, it calls it a no nation. Because the church is composed of people from every nation. There is a generation of Jews that talks about in the book of Revelation that are going to come back to him. And that is the tribulation generation is going to come back in force and evangelize the world. But he says to them, it's being taken away from you. And then they realize it. They realize what he's saying. And rather than repenting, they want to kill him. And so he says says, uh, um, says in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He doesn't say the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. As if it's some passive event which is going to occur outside of me. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. I make the proclamation. God, who spoke life into people, who said, let there be light. Let there be vegetation on the earth. Let there be man, let there be one God who spoke this and breathed life in. It wasn't something that was naturally occurring. God spoke it in. The proclamation was made. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you. The proclamation was said at that moment. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you. This was a proclamation. He wasn't making reference to something that was just going to happen to occur. He made the proclamation and based on that word, it was to come about. And then he talks about the death that's going to come to them. This is what we do. Now, it's easy for us to look at them and say, oh, those folks are so bad. And then he tells another another parable that's very much like this, about people who were invited to a wedding feast, not coming, and then people from the outside have to be invited and they have to have on the clothes of righteousness. We want to look at that and say, oh, you know, those, those uh, scribes and those Pharisees, how, how wrong of them not to see? What are they, so blind? And the whole thing comes back to us. How much do we not see? How much do we see others going on with the Lord and getting excited about it? And then we persisting in our own reckless ways. How much do we look at the Scriptures and just passively, okay, I've got to read the Scripture today. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, How often do we do that? You see, the whole thing turns back on us. It is very much like us to be like the scribes and the Pharisees and to see those prostitutes and those uh, 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 tax gatherers coming to the Lord and just observing it and not feeling remorse and changing our lives because of it. Or judging other people and not looking at our own lives. Lord, how much of my life is like this? How much do I read the Scriptures and try to comprehend what it is you have for me? 
That when we read the Scriptures, we say, Lord God, speak to me. This resource that the church is providing for you, this online resource, I looked at it, it is amazing. But I will tell you, if you go to teach a Bible study, and you watch, and you look at some of the resources, and you watch some expert teaching on that, and think, well, I'll just say what he said in the Bible study, there will be no power. No power. Power comes by getting in the Word of God and saying, Lord God, speak to me. Lord God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to these young people that I'll be teaching in this Bible study. Lord, speak to me. By taking, how seriously do you take this? Are you willing to fast and pray for that Bible study that you're going to teach? Or is it, well, you know, I got this book, I'll just follow what it says. You follow what it says, there's no power. The power comes by spending time with the Lord. Do you take this seriously enough to lack food? Do you take this seriously enough to rise up in the morning and to pray, to fall on your knees and to say, Lord God, speak to me through the Scriptures and let the power of God come forth? Because it's not parroting what, or mimicking what this man or this woman says that's going to give me the power. It is a depth of relationship with God. And these men had the power but they were missing it. They were not seeing that they were devoid of life. And what we want to do is we want to just say, oh yeah, those bad, wretched people, why didn't they just receive Jesus and understand what He was saying? And the Lord turns it right back on us and says, how about us? How about will we take the Scriptures and take them seriously? When we have this treasure of the Word of God, will we take time to pray for this little Bible study and say, Lord, as I'm teaching in this, Lord, fill me. And impact the hearts. Lord, do something with my life that makes a difference. It is not just academics. And people who go to seminary, they miss it all the time. Not everyone, but most of them. They think that if they get the academics, if they get the degree, they're set to be a pastor, they're set to be a missionary, they're set to be a teacher. It doesn't work that way. It comes by pouring yourself out before the Lord. By saying, Lord, as I read this text, Lord, bring life through it. I don't see what I'm going to teach. I don't understand it. There's something here, Lord. Speak to me. And then start reading it. And then watch the Word of God come alive. And God gives you lessons that you've never even seen before. And then He brings it forth in power. This is where He's taking us. To a much greater depth. Let's take this whole parable and just look at ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it, and I pray You just drill it right into the hearts of these young people. That You take this Word of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ where He said, have you not read in the Scriptures? And that You would bring conviction upon our hearts. Have we read the Scriptures and cried out to You, Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean? Or is it just words on a page? Lord, thank You because You are warning us not to fall into the same trap. To think that we have it when we don't. Father, I pray for these young people that You draw them into a depth of relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray also that You would, you would work on the hearts here of those that don't know You. Those who have so neglected You 
they've heard the Word of God week after week, but chosen to neglect and to avoid making a decision to follow Jesus. Father, I pray that this day they would fall before you and say, Lord God, forgive me because I'm a sinner. And that they would ask you into their hearts and be baptized. Father, I pray that they'd come under obedience. Father, lest they come before you one day and you expose to them how they saw people coming, but they themselves continued to harden their hearts. Have mercy on them and save their souls this day. Save their souls. And Lord, I commit these fine people to you. Have mercy on them in the name of Jesus. Amen.